Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn Aish, editor at TrainingIndustry.com, here with my co-host, Scott Rutherford. Hi, and welcome. This episode is being prepared as a special feature for National Distance Learning Week. Thanks to our sponsor, the Certified Professional and Training Management Program, which I should note does have a distance learning virtual practicum option available. Hi, I'm Brandy, and I'm the Learning Program Administrator for the Certified Professional and Training Management Program. The CPTM program was designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. And when you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com. National Distance Learning Week is organized by the United States Distance Learning Association, a nonprofit that exists to support distance learning in multiple educational communities, including K-12 education, continuing adult education, homeschooling, among others. Today's podcast focuses on distance learning as it relates to corporate training and the implications of distance learning for organizational learning and development. So with that in mind, let's meet our guests. Ken Kahn is the past president and chairman of the board of the U.S. Distance Learning Association and director of partnerships and collaboration for I2I Technologies. Ken, welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me today. And Melissa Lobel is senior vice president of customer success and partnerships at Instructure, and she previously served as the associate dean for distance learning at the University of California, Irvine. Melissa, thanks for being here today. Hi, it's great to be here. Melissa, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your interest in distance learning? Sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Early on in my career, one of the first roles that I played in education was to run distance learning programs out of a business school in New York. In that work, I immediately got involved in not only traditional distance learning programs for undergraduate and graduate degrees, but I also got heavily involved into into developing programs in the corporate space. And that's where I I particularly got interested in how can we best find ways to engage learners throughout their career so that they're really effective lifelong learners. Since then, I've held a number of different roles at both universities and in corporate settings where I've been focused on developing and engaging online learning and distance learning for learners of all types and and, and, uh, profiles. Right. And Ken, I understand uh, you came to distance learning after working as a teacher in K-12 schools? Correct. I I started my professional career teaching fifth grade. Um, This was around 1998 when there was a lot of instructional technology coming into the classroom. And so even though I was a new teacher, I kind of gravitated, uh, gravitated towards that. Um, and I uh, fast forward two years later, I was teaching on a sixth grade campus and we had a large group instruction room that was basically used for storage in the back of the building. And uh, one day I saw some people working back there and went back and took a look and there were cameras back there, big TV monitors, a whole control station. And um, I came later to learn that that was going to be our new distance learning lab. And that was my introduction to distance learning and in particular interactive video conferencing um, at that time. 
So let's start off by talking a little bit about what distance learning actually means. I mean, obviously, it's a field that's uh, extremely dependent on the technology and, and really has evolved as the technology has sort of enabled it over time. Uh, so Melissa, can maybe start, let's start with you. I mean, how do you see distance learning as having changed over the past, say, five years? Yeah, that's a great question because a lot has changed in the last five years. Distance learning in general, if we think of it as ways to engage learners in learning opportunities that are a traditional face-to-face opportunity. So that could be something as simple as a micro-learning experience or something more complex as a fully online degree. Whatever that shape of that learning um, takes on, we've seen over the last five years a, a couple of new trends and really uh, approaches to distance learning start to stick. The first one I would say is in the last five years, we've seen a, an increased focus on learner engagement. And that's led into not only the way we choose to use technologies to support distance learning, but how we craft the types of learning experiences that we're making for our learners. So with this heightened focus on the learner and a learner-centric approach, we're shifting from an easy way to deliver learning to a more engaging and more effective way to use learning. And that leads me to the second thing that I think has changed quite a bit over the last five years is a the heightened importance of analytics. So if we're going to be focusing on learner engagement and really how do we make the most effective use of a learner's time as they're building skills or developing, uh, developing knowledge, how do we then monitor that both just in time and after the fact so that we can continue to feed back to the types of learning opportunities we're creating to make them um, even more effective. So this heightened focus on analytics and this heightened focus on learner engagement are two of the big changes that I've seen happen in the last five years. Sure, yeah, and we've talked uh, previously on the podcast and elsewhere here uh, at, at Training Industry about uh, as the uh, interconnectedness of learning experiences uh, uh, increases and the data layer and that data connection becomes uh, becomes you know, really more fully uh, enabled, uh, you know, the the you know, the analytics uh, don't just exist for analytics sake, but they exist also to uh, help the, re- the platforms become adaptive. And so we end up in, in the world of, you know, adaptive learning, micro learning, and all of, well, I don't want to throw out, it's like a jargon fruit salad here, but uh, mm-hmm. all those technologies really depend on that, uh, that analytics portion, right? Absolutely. For technologies to be effective, um, at least in today's world of distance learning, you must not only be able to produce analytics so that you can monitor student success, but you need to be able to use those analytics just in time to make changes to create even deeper uh, engaging opportunities like you just described. So Ken, you're also in the technology sector related to this. What, what differences, uh, what's different now than it was five years ago from where you're coming from? I think the difference is that the technology is increasingly becoming easier and easier to use um, and fading into the background where it really should be. And we're able to focus on what we're actually connecting uh, to do. We're able to focus on the learning piece and not so much on, well, how does this technology fit into what we're trying to do? I mean, distance learning has been around for ages. I mean, um, probably the most coherent thing you can trace it back to is correspondence courses, right? And so the technology has increasingly enabled us to make it more and more similar to that optimum experience of being all in the same physical place at the same time. And so I think 
what I've noticed in the last five years is that push of getting us closer and closer to being able to simulate that um, with the technology. I think uh, a lot of people would hear the phrase distance learning and think maybe first of uh, higher education or, or K-12 education. What do you think that corporate training can learn from those learning communities? Uh, maybe Ken, let's start with you. Yeah, um, I think, uh, again, it, it, it's providing that those learning opportunities to anybody, no matter where they're at. Um, so like in a corporate setting, instead of saying, well, we need to you know, fly everybody out to our corporate office to be able to go through this particular uh, learning experience or this particular simulation um, and said we can offer that to anybody no matter where their location is um, and no matter where they're at. Um, so, I, th I mean, I, I think that's the, that's obviously the, the biggest takeaway and, and also, you know, offering opportunities more in a just in time format where it's not like, okay, well, once a year we pull the team together to do a week long training session to catch them up on everything. It's like, a as things happen, we can use, leverage the technology, you know, maybe it's putting them into an online module, maybe it's putting them into an online course, uh, maybe it's just connecting over interactive video and working through and collaborating on uh, something together. Yeah, I would completely agree. And that focus on interactivity, I think, is something that the corporate space can learn from what K-12 and higher education have been doing for a long time in distance learning. So I think you know, we've seen differences uh, for the past 15 years. In the K-12 and higher education space, your instructors are trained to create interactive and immersive activities. And they've been really good at that. And they've been able to transform into a world with more and more distance opportunities, those kinds of activities. Where they've lacked in the corporate space has been stellar at is creating beautiful content that the learners can leverage. So I think they can teach each other those things. And that now while corporate uh, learning environments, they have phenomenal, beautiful content, they need to bake into that the kind of interactivity that our K-12 and our higher education friends are doing so well. So there's really a blending there of both of those aspects to make the learning as effective as possible. Do you think there's a difference that also comes from the slightly different objectives of the, say, continuing uh, higher education uh, environment versus corporate training? Because in, in, in K-12 or in higher education, you're, you're instructing for uh, mastery of the material versus in corporate training, you're often instructing for uh, ability to perform based on that. So there's a slightly different lens that, the, that the, you could look at the objective through. And I'm curious what you think that does when we're talking about, well, does that lead us down a different path in, in creating the content and delivering the content? What's interesting, if, if it's okay if I just jump in, what's interesting is that I think K-12 and higher education are having to drive more towards developing a skill and less towards mastering content in order to make sure that the folks leaving their organizations are uh, marketable and can find careers and jobs and, and, and contribute to, the, to society even. So I think we're starting to see higher education and K-12 go in that direction. But yes, I believe it does change the way you think about building the learning experience that you are. This is where the um, you know, nuggets or short pieces of information, the micro learning, those kinds of things be can become really valuable in the corporate space because they can align to a specific skill. Whereas in the higher education and K-12 space, you have much more time to develop that mastery of content. And so you craft differently. 
Well, focusing a little bit on uh, the corporate training space narrowly, um, the the preceding episode actually of this podcast, we talked about a a research project that was recently completed uh, by a colleague of ours here at Training Industry about learner preferences in corporate training and uh, really focusing on uh, the preferred modality of learners. How that is, how learners prefer to receive the the training that they're that they're given, and the data showed overall that there is a general preference uh, for instructor led. Uh, traditional classroom face-to-face training over um, distance learning, if you will, e-learning, virtual instructor-led training in that general category. Uh, But it also found that uh, there are distance learning modalities like uh, virtual reality that learners may prefer, but more often than not, they haven't had experience or haven't had a, a chance to try. So I guess the question of all of that is, where does that leave distance learning? Is is Are we still in a, pl- a place where the benefits of the distance learning experience have to be sold to the learner? Uh, Ken, why, I'll let you, let you have a first stab at that. Yeah, I think what's been interesting um, and what I've noticed with distance learning is it seems to get a lot more focus on the quality of the instruction that's being delivered versus face-to-face, which I know in a higher education setting, that's, you know, it's, it's cause for some inequality where people are being, seem to be being evaluated uh, more harshly in an online environment versus um, on in a face-to-face environment. And to me, what it comes down to is the, is the quality of the instruction. And I think what's happened a lot, too, in distance learning is people think, oh, well, I'll just take my lecture notes um, and paste them into an online module, and then people will be able to, you know, read the content, take the course that way, and it, it doesn't translate well. And so I think, I think the focus on, again, I think the focus should be on simulating what's that quality instruction and how can we offer that in a distance learning form format. Um, and, you know, it, it shouldn't matter if it's face-to-face or if it's, uh, if it's online, it should really focus on the quality of the instruction. Then if the quality is there, the uh, learners uh, will, will gravitate to it rather than being afraid of it. I don't know if I'm mischaracterizing what you're saying. Right, right, exactly. Melissa, what do you what do you have any uh, further thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree that the quality is a key piece of that. I also think um, making sure that we accurately explain to learners the the time that it will take to complete the activities in front of them. So I've seen new systems trend towards not only providing different kinds of options and different lengths of learning, but then also being very clear up front, you know, this is how long we expect. This is a two hour chunk. This is a four hour chunk. This is a, you'll do this over the span of two days and being upfront and honest about that so that learners know what they're getting into and can make the right decisions. I think that will help them also feel better about distance learning because so often you feel like it's more work than it is less. And that can be an inhibitor to wanting to try to do that work at a distance because you're trying to figure out how it fits in your everyday lives. And I think, I think the human interaction piece is what's important. So I think that's what people like in the face-to-face instruction is you're in a room with a group of people and you're, you're able to have that experience together and, and talk about it and interact. And I think that's the piece that's sometimes missing in distance learning courses is it can be very isolated um, and you feel like you're kind of disconnected uh, from, from the other group of people going through the course. Um, so I think the, the quality and the engagement of the course and, and having that human interaction, and I think the part about the, the virtual reality piece is, 
you know, that we're seeing as well as having that simulated format um, in a virtual reality experience where I can actually go through uh, that piece and, and have that, again, that similar experience to real life um, adds quality. Yeah, that application and contextualization that can happen, not only does it add quality, it also adds, um, I think, uh, credibility to the distance learning experiences for those, you know, employers or folks that are now uh, responding to folks saying that they have had these learning experiences. Great. So uh, let's say, um, you know, you've developed this distance learning program and you've, you know, worked really hard on it. You've got great instruction, great material, it's engaging, but your learners um, have experienced, you know, some of those uh, less engaging, uh, less effective programs in the past. How do you overcome um, their po the potential of, you know, hesitation or, um, uh, their inclination to not want to do distance learning because of their past experiences. I, I think Melissa kind of alluded to this earlier, which is setting the proper expectations and making sure that they understand, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's the experience that you're going to have. So trying to outline, I know in the past it might've been like this, here's what this experience is like, here's how it was designed. Here's the benefit that it's going to give you. Um, are you willing to, you know, you, you kind of have to offer it as a choice too. Are you willing to, to, to do that? So I think giving people some sort of choice um, and laying out the proper expectations, uh, that, that's, that's the way that, I, that has worked well for me. Yeah, I could not agree more. I, I've taught a course for the last couple of years that's an eight-week, it spans over eight weeks, and I've taught it both in the model where I'll release content weekly or I'll just give students everything up front with all of that explicit direction that, that Ken was sharing. And it has worked so much better when I release everything up front. And shockingly enough, all I have to do is ask my students, while you work through the course, even if you work ahead, please, though, keep your discussions tied to our conversation that we've identified each week. And I never thought that would work, and it absolutely works. And I've had a lot of students come back to me and tell me, I really appreciate knowing everything I'm getting up front. I can plan out my life. I can organize how I'm going to work through this. But then by having those weekly discussions that connects me into the topics of that week, I still feel like I have those opportunities for interaction with my classmates that becomes meaningful. Yeah, and it yeah. comes back also to what you are talking about a minute ago about making uh, the distance learning experience human, right? Because, you know, what you're talking about is connecting the students, you know, peer-to-peer -peer in a discussion where they're collaborating, you know, perhaps in real time, perhaps uh, perhaps uh, time shifted, but uh, they're still connecting as people and helping each other through the process. Right. It, it increase, To me, it increases the quality of life because now I have the flexibility to decide when I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Um, and how I'm going to do it. So like Melissa said, if I release the, the course all at once and I can kind of look at, okay, here are the next eight weeks of my life. Um, I'm going, I can do this work here. I can do this work here and still go attend my daughter's volleyball game, still be able to do the personal things in my life that I want to do and fit it all in for what works uh, well for me. That's the other benefit that I think, you know, to Terrence point can help sell it is, look at the flexibility that you're going to get uh, if we're able to do the instruction in the course in this way. 
So if the if the um, student facing experience that we want is sort of tech agnostic, um, how what would your advice be to folks in corporate training who are managing the function who still have to navigate this uh, this sea of technology and jargon to put together a solution that then makes the technology fade into the background? I mean, to me, you always have to start with what are your goals and objectives. Um, people that focus on the tools and the technology first, it's kind of like, you know, cart before the horse kind of thing, right? Um, it, it's, if anybody's seen that movie, Apollo 13, one of my favorite scenes in there is when they dump all that stuff on the table and they're like, okay, we got, here's what we got and we got to figure out how to make this work. You want that to be the exception, not the rule. So you want to start with, here's what we our goals are, here's what our objectives are, and then what are the resources out there that help us accomplish that in the easiest, uh, most efficient way to give us the best quality experience? Yeah, I think that's a really great way to, to, to summarize that. It's this, it's this matching of expectations, this matching of outcomes, and this explicit learning experience so that not only do you, as you're working through it, learn about you as a learner, but you're then getting those applicable skills. By packaging that all together, I think that's how you can be most effective. Grace, looking forward, uh, what do you think the future of distance learning looks like? I think we've, we've debated uh, in the last 10 years uh, what roles things like virtual reality will play and what roles um, AI and machine learning will play. And, and I think we're still back at the place of how do we just more deeply engage our learners and how do we just make more and more easily applicable learning opportunities so that people can immediately use the skills they're building. Um, and I think in that, the future is, is a collection of tools and technologies that get that, that can fade into the background as, as we've chatted, and, and instructional designers and, and crafters of learning experiences that understand how to have those really great technologies fade and to understand also how to drive towards that learner engagement and uh, learner experience that we're looking for. I don't know. I guess, I guess technologies, I've seen technologies come and go over the last 25 years and, and there's been some great additions that have definitely moved the needle, but nothing has moved the needle more than the perspective of the learn, the crafters of the learning experiences. Yeah. And I think as, is the, our connectivity increases where I can, no matter where I'm at, I have the ability to, to, to connect um, and no matter what device I have, again, more of that agnostic approach where I'm not really worried about what kind of device I have or what the, the uh, people taking the class have. I'm not really worried about where am I at at this exact moment. As the ease of use continues with those two pieces, I think we're going to see things continue to evolve to, again, kind of simulate that best case scenario of we're all in the same room at the exact same time, able to manipulate these different objects, we're going to see the, the, the distance learning world continue to move towards that where, you know, using implementing virtual reality aspects, being able to feel like I'm manipulating these objects. I'm in this room with this group of people, but we're scattered out across the globe and, and heck, maybe even further, right? 
Well, there's there's probably also the uh, the future expansion of uh, distance learning as we move. You know, you mentioned uh, you know whatever device. Well, you know, one thing that we've seen in in the corporate training space is a movement to uh, try to support employees through you know uh, cell phone or or mobile device location enabled learning. So they're getting you know just the nugget of guidance they need at the right time to perform the task, uh, whether that whether that's you know for compliance reasons or whatever what other other objectives. Um, so, you know, then, you know, as those technologies get better, that becomes part of the distance learning experience, probably uh, as another modality in addition to the virtualized classroom, I would imagine. Yeah, I would agree. And not only is it the device that becomes important, it's now your work environments, whether you're working from home or working in a remote location or your central location, it's, it's forcing them to up the game. So I think about some of our customers and you know we've, we had one customer that was looking to do super innovative things and looking to our platforms to do that, yet uh, they had in their hands of many of their remote employees tablets that were eight years old and that couldn't even you couldn't even use a modern cloud technology on them. Or an, another uh, uh, one of our customers recently ran into a browser problem, and they were using a browser almost 10 years old that was not supported. And so it's now not only upping the game for how do we, how do we use these devices, how do we drive location-specific training, how do we make these things more immediately relevant to the learners, but how do we just up our workplace so that when all that informal learning is happening as it, and it wraps around the distance learning that's occurring that's a little more formal, we're able to get so much more benefit because now everybody can access all of the modern resources and capabilities available. And I also think that analytics piece that I heard Melissa mention uh, earlier as well is important. So now you have some data and you can look at it hey, let me reach out to Ken about this. It seems like every time this topic comes up, he, seem, he seems to have a hard time with it. So let me reach out to him to help support him with that. Um, and I also think to that piece about like, you know, outdated browsers, technology doesn't work. You know, these intuitive technologies, that AI piece that I heard Scott mention where, you know, you're not dependent on the user to stumble onto a problem or to report it um, to, you know, the support team to help them with it. The technology itself says, hey, uh, we've noticed that this browser needs updated or, hey, we noticed that this, this, this is the hardware where you're, you're getting pinged uh, about the issue before the user even is aware that it is an issue and able to correct it before they even have to experience any type of, you know, speed bump roadblock. Uh, type of a situation that, again, kind of takes them out of the learning experience because that, that's why I'm big on the technology fading into the background. Like today, we're able to have this conversation and not worry about the technology, you know, what microphone am I using? Am I look? you know, am I have the right browser open? It's like I can forget about all that and just focus on having the conversation. I love that. Yeah, and in, and in all transparency, we're doing this across, I think, three time zones. <laughs> All right, well, thanks to Ken Kahn from I2I Technologies and the U.S. Distance Learning Association and Melissa Lobel, Director of uh, Partnerships with Instructure. It was great having you both on the podcast today. Thanks so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And for more about distance learning and corporate training, you can visit trainingindustry.com. We have articles, webinars, and other helpful content on distance learning in our e-learning and learning technologies pages. Thanks again for listening to the Business of Learning podcast. Until next time. 
If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.